This is Power 1 and 2 Digital, the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Everybody right now caught in the jostle for space in the race, trying to keep up with the pace, but space round cram. Everybody is jamming, 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 jamming for a better life, a better way of living. In the meantime, simple things we forgetting, like how to say good morning, morning, neighbor. Welcome to the second hour of the Power Breakfast Show on Power 102 Digital. Paul Richards, Wendell Stephen, Richard Raghubara Singh. My name is Steve Khan. Give me company until 9 o'clock. Sir Charles will be in today. Oh, Ruben's in the mix as well. Quickly, before I get into the guys traffic-wise, let's see what's happening. It is heavy. Maloney to Yui on the highway. Valsane to Port of Spain. Um... Let's take a look at this solo. Rivulet Road heading towards Cuba, San Fernando, usual streets. Solo is not too bad. You're going to get some traffic from Sugar Gornis as you head into the interchange. Lewis Santa Cruz, out of Maraval, out of Diego, Ricer Road is chock-a-block as well. And going up Lady Road, Eastern Main Road from Aruca, various spots as you head into Port of Spain. All right. Quick traffic update for you. Southern Main Road out of Sugar Gorna is a bit busy heading towards Kirap and Kelly Village. It's lighter than usual. All right, gentlemen, so we are back. It is 11 minutes after the hour of 7 o'clock. Yeah, we are back. We are back. Richard, you are I, I did something on my phone. probably even justice. Yeah, so I have the... um. The results. What you said, Wanda? I said no. I said I did. I I, I was using my phone to do it too. Now, so. Oh, okay. Chris. Chris too oh, said just. Morning was. Chris too said just said a yes. To your poll. All right. All right. So our poll this morning was: Do you support um, the nominee of Christine? The nomination, sorry, of Christine Kangaloo by the government for president of the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. We had 26 people voting in the allotted time. Of the 26 people voting, 17 of you said yes, you support the choice. Nine of you said no, you do not. That's exactly what I So, of course, this is the um, this poll continues to be active throughout the day, through all programming, mm-hmm. and we'll give you the final result tomorrow morning. So you can continue to vote on this poll of whether you think Christine Kangaloo 
is a suitable candidate for the presidency, um, yes or no? Whether you support or agree with that nomination. Mm. And we'll give you the final result tomorrow morning, which will be Tuesday. Mm -hmm. That's it. So, yeah. of course, the, the majority of people said they had no problem. They agreed with it. Um, yeah. And you have a, well, not an insignificant amount of people in comparison saying no. You know, I, well, you know what I do understand? This debate over presidency all the time. Well, I don't know that we had it so much um, for Mr. Carmona. Um, because if I remember, I don't know that the PNM had proffered anybody um, against Mr. Carmona. Um, against Paula May Weeks, um, I don't think anybody was proffered either against her. Um, um, I think then the opposition support her. They did, they mm -hmm. did. If I remember, they did support her. Um, so I, but I, I don't understand this raging debate that we get sometimes for presidency, and all of a sudden now we, they, they they come up with the fact that what what this person doing is a waste of time and oh it is tiring until we reform the constitution that is what we have to deal with yep, yep you know yep. and, and I, th I think it, I, I think it's always better to have a consensus candidate from the opposition and the and the government i mm -hmm. think there should always be an active trying or an active effort to get a consensus candidate mm -hmm. for the overall constitutional sanctity of the position in a sense Mm -hmm. that people that both sides should agree um to whatever degree but agree mm -hmm. that this is the candidate that you're putting forward it makes for a better you know picture so yeah speak. yeah but i have to tell you based on the, the acrimony that we have seen from the from the politics lately you know that's not gonna happen it's not and 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 all right let's let's face it as i said before i don't know if richard you were on the as yet Christine Kangaloo, to her credit, is the only nominee that we have had who have actually had the experience of being a president because she has acted on several occasions during the last seven years. We have not had that from anybody before. All the presidential nominees, they just came out of the judiciary or out of where, politics or wherever and became president. She, to her credit, has had to, has had to act as president on several occasions over the seven years. You know, so to say that she 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 coming out of politics, what kind of what kind of crazy argument is that? You know, yes, she did serve as a politician at one point in time. You know what I mean? But I don't even know that Christine Kangaloo could name could be called in any kind of political upheaval or any kind of political bacchanal. You know what I mean? I don't know how that like that at all. You know, so so to besmirch a character like that, I think. I don't think she deserves it, you know? And then you come now, you come now, and you, you, you do that, and you offer Israel can. Israel can? You can't be serious. How many country can take you serious then? Come with somebody who you could say, yeah, you know, I see in their point of view now. You come with Israel can, and then Reginald Dumas, former head of the public service, saying time for a Hindu, that is where we reach in. What Reginald Dumas said? He says it's time for a Hindu. We had we had 
um, Christian, we had um, 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 some um, Muslim, time for Hindu. Yeah. He said that um, I would have preferred a Hindu president, says retired yeah. head of the public service, Reginald Dumas. Yeah, that is where we reach. Come on, man. We, and, and, and now all the sort of nonsense talk about, 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 about what, what, what the president could do. We saw what the president, we know the role of the president. And we saw how powerful a president could be. When A.N.R. Robinson, in an 1818 tie, had to choose who was prime minister, and he chose the person who didn't put him there? He says here, quote-unquote, my position is that I would like to see a person of the Hindu faith as president because we have never had one, and this would be keeping, um, keeping if we did so, with the words of the anthem, here every creed and race find an equal place. We have a number of presidents... Um, all but one of whom has been Christians. The one mm. who was not was a Muslim, and that was Noor Hassan Ali. Yeah, I read that, and mm -hmm. I, 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 I say, okay, if that is the that is the argument, that is the best argument you could come up with. Yeah, he says um, Hindu represents about one quarter of our population, and I just find it a little strange. That up to now, no suitable Hindu can be found to be president. Ah, Christian can go better go and join. Because I, as I say, I don't think she deserves the pillorian she is getting because of that, um, because of this position. I don't think she deserves it. I'm sure. That none of this surprises her, not the persons who nominated her. Mm -hmm. mm. Quite frankly. Mm. I'm sure they are politically astute enough to know they had to push back on many fronts. I guess so. And she's quite prepared for it. Um, it's not the first time that her name has been drawn into controversy. Mm. Uh, so, are we expecting Marvin Gonzalez? Mm-hmm. Here he comes. Here's Johnny. Marvin goes send all your invoice just now. Recording in progress. The among the times all you have Marvin on the show. You send all your invoice. A lot of stuff happening. Well, stuff we had our people who work in. We kept <laughs> who not working. Yeah, we had our people that work in. That's right, Paul. <laughs> Where's the point of having people who not work in? To all talk and, tell, and promise what they're going to do? And then we'll show up for a big cultural event. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Wendell. Good morning. Morning, Steve. Good morning, Trinidad and Tobago. Morning, morning. How are you looking like he was up long, long time now? Since 3 o'clock this morning. Wow, yeah. I can see that. That's not a face. Today's a busy day. Yeah, no kidding, eh? Yeah, morning and welcome. Thank you very much. I think I had promised to do uh, a long interview um, at the start of the new year, so I'm assuming this is the one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lots to talk about. We have Wasa to talk about. We have the tea and tech to talk about. Not the read review, okay? Yeah. Well. <laughs> well. Minister, let me let me get this off my off off um, quickly because, because I'm a member of Council of the Port of Spain Corporation, right? 
-hmm. And every month we do a regional meeting where we bring in the stakeholders, WASA, Tech, HDC, uh, EMA, you name it, police. We have a, a round table meeting at City Hall. Um, but a lot of the complaints emanate out of HDC compounds concerning WASA, water, and sewage, and so on. I'm sure you would have heard and seen plenty of those complaints. Correct. How, that is correct. how is that to be treated with? Because in large measure, WASA basically deflects it to HDC, and HDC, of course, can't fix water problems unless WASA is involved, or they can't fix sewer problems unless WASA is involved. Why isn't there a solution to deal with that um, um, urgently? I'm happy that you raise this issue because um, when I came in as minister two years ago, um, I received a number of complaints emanating from HDC developments and um, conducting my own investigation, talking to both HDC officials and WASA, I, I, I realized what, what, what is the genesis of the problem. Now, WASA is responsible for sending or providing the water to the HDC. But on these HDC developments, you have your own facilities management system in place, your pumping system in place, and um, um, your sewage system in place, all of these things. Um, unfortunately, HDC has been investing in a number of housing developments across Trinidad and Tobago, and unfortunately, um, we, they do not have the necessary maintenance um, system in place to treat with um, the numerous issues that will normally take place um, in housing developments um, with respect to your infrastructure. And oftentimes when these problems arise, these problems which emanate from the, the, the compound as a result of lack of maintenance, they normally would blame the utility company for it. Um, recently, I, I received a message, I think, um, in in um, this this housing development in Curep. And when I conducted the investigation, and they were blaming WASA for the water not reaching to the, you know, the top, to the top floors. And when I and it still happened, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yes, when I conducted the investigation, the problem it was not a WASA problem because WASA was providing the water, but WASA is not responsible for maintaining the pumps. HDC is responsible for maintaining the pumps. And when these houses are handed over to homeowners, those homeowners are responsible for uh, ensuring that your your management um, committees are in place. And it, it's part of the, the legal arrangement between the homeowners and the HDC, where on a monthly basis, you provide, you pay this management fee. And that money is, re is responsible for maintaining the various infrastructure on the premises. These things simply don't happen. People take their homes and they fail to put management systems in place to collect the fees and what have you, or they take necessary um, maintenance and infrastructure upgrades and what have you. And when these things fall into disrepair and they don't get the utility coming to their homes, their apartments, etc., they blame WASA for it. And secondly, a number of these sewage plants you know, AGC would construct these sewage plants on the, uh, the respective developments, and WASA is not responsible for the maintenance. That falls part of the maintenance of that facility through their facilities management division or their, their, their management committee um, and what have you. 
And oftentimes, these um, sewage um, treatment plants, they fall into disrepair. I know of a number of cases where raw sewage just flow into the river, flow into the, the drainage channels, etc. And then they blame WASA for it. Oftentimes, WASA have to respond and assist when the situation becomes dire. So the, the problem is, is it's, it's a deeper problem, um, Wendell. It is a very, very important issue that you're raising mm. because it because it is not about constructing homes and put, putting people to occupy the homes. You have to put the necessary systems, the necessary arrangements in place, and people have to understand that when you take possession of these homes, you form yourself into the management committee, you pay your monthly contributions, etc., so that your infrastructure to get your water, you get your pumps to manage your your um, your sewage treatment and what have you. All of these things, mm. you know, they, they require a lot of money. And when they fall into disrepair, well, I guess they, they're accustomed to blaming Wasa and they're saying it's a Wasa problem, but it is simply not a Wasa problem. Recently, I had to deal with an issue in the Ridgeview area, which is in the heart of my constituency. All right, there are a number of apartments, about 25 or 30 apartments, who are not getting water for, for months. And we have been grappling with that. When we conducted the investigation, we called WASA, we called um, HDC into a meeting, both Minister Robinson Regis and myself had to commandeer these two agencies to sit around a table. And unfortunately, again, the problem stemmed from HDC without HDC not putting the necessary infrastructure in place to ensure that the water reaches. WASA's responsibility was to get water to the tank farm. Water was, in fact, going to the tank farm but not reaching some of the upper areas and some of the upper apartments because of the, the pumps not being properly maintained. The pipeline infrastructure was not sufficient to accommodate the volume of water and a host of issues. So we have to start by ensuring that when you put people in homes, you have to ensure that the systems are in place to maintain the infrastructure, people pay their management fees, they take care of your pumps, you manage your, you, 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 you maintain your, your sewage treatment plant, etc. Until such time, your sewage treatment plant is now transferred from the management committee to the water and sewage authority. And there's a legal process to do that. WASA just cannot just go in and take over uh, an, an HDC sewage treatment plant. There's a legal process. There is legal, there's, there might be legal implications with, for so doing. And therefore, there's a channel and there's a process um, for WASA to take over. But in, um, in, in so far as it relates to the maintenance of those plants, it falls to the HDC until WASA takes over responsibility. But, but Minister, you, all right, I hear you and I agree with you. But this problem is a lot more pervasive than, than we think. And I mean, you sit in a cabinet with the Minister of Housing. I know that HGC would have had their financial issues over a period of time. But clearly, this problem, and it's, a, it's affecting thousands of people. Is it, is it that, is it that we, can, we will continue to hear every month from HGC that they need WASA to come in and do this? And then you hear from WASA, where there's a HGC compound, they have to deal with it. We can't continue this way. So something so, has yeah. to fix yes. on outside of you saying what you're saying today. We haven't heard anything from WASA about what you just said. Eh? We're hearing it from you as line minister. But WASA doesn't ex um, tell people these things. Eh? No, they don't. And um, and HGC doesn't tell people those things either. So it it, it leaves the um, the citizens in a, in a country not knowing who to turn to, whether to turn to the HGC or whether or not to turn to WASA. But the, the problem is, as I've just explained, that is the genesis of the problem. And we have to ensure 
that when we put people in homes, when we construct homes and you put people in homes, that it is not a free house. We, you, as a homeowner, you have a responsibility and it, because it is well documented in the deed between the HDC as well and, and, and the homeowner that these systems must be put in place. You have to form your seven management committees. You have to pay your management fees. And those fees, the management committee is supposed to ensure that your pumps are always repaired, your sewage treatment plant are always in a state of um, in a in, in a state that it can treat the, the, the raw sewage coming from these apartments. But oftentimes, Wendell, we have a problem in this country. People do not regard an investment in an HDC house as in fact an investment. People believe it is something free that they that that they are entitled to. And unfortunately, when they get it, they do not see it as their responsibility to contribute to the to the maintenance of these facilities. All right. There are a number of communities all over Trinidad and Tobago um, distributed 20, 30 years ago. And, and HDC is still sending contractors to, to cut the grass, to do this and to do different things. And why, why is that? It, it, it shouldn't be like that at all. We have to be responsible as citizens. Nothing so wouldn't that have been part of the HDC contractual agreement with those residents that they would have been charged with common It is part. And sometimes HDC will just walk away and leave the residents and leave the communities without putting their, their, their structures in place to maintain these facilities. And, and oftentimes, TNTEC, the utility agencies, have to respond to emergencies when the situation gets worse. When the situation is, gets worse. And, and it's not only HDC. Let me, let me also say that it is not only an HDC. And I intend to bring legislation in Parliament very soon to address this particular problem because it is very pervasive, as Wendell just said. It is not only with HDC. Yet. There are a number of private developers doing the same thing. They construct homes, and again, in the in my um, constituency, just using my constituency constituency as an example, the number in in um in the Takarigua area, um, there are a number of people who would have purchased homes from HCL, and these people purchased their homes, and the developer did not do what they were supposed to do to ensure that the regional corporation takes responsibility for certain aspects of the maintenance of these um, communities. And as well as the same thing, um, the residents not feeling or, or, or not putting the, the, the necessary systems in place for your management committees to take responsibility for maintaining your sewage um, treatment plant, etc. And a number of these communities across Toronto Bego, the sewage treatment plant, which was constructed together with the home, are in a state of disrepair with raw sewage going into drains and into the river channels, polluting our water courses. HDC is not only the... The, the the major defaulter, but it is a it is a serious and a chronic problem in this country where people invest in homes, they sell the homes, and they just turn their back looking for the next investment to make. And however these people survive, they leave it up to them. That, it is that's a, a serious fact. problem in this country. It is a very very serious problem in this yeah. country. HGC is just one of the defaulters. Yeah. Well, I yeah you're right. You're absolutely right. And and, and the only of... way that we can deal with it. Is the past requisite legislation where developers are held responsible? They are held liable, and an action can be taken against them. It's not about investing in property, putting people to live in home. The first two years, people are them happy that they get their homes, and in the third year, they're complaining for water. They blame in Wasa. They blame in the minister. The minister should resign. Wasa, Wasa, Wasa. Well, and legislation is one thing, but 
enforcing legislation is something else, as we well know in Sri Lanka. Is it by design you have that halo around your head today? It's a, it looked like a light behind his head. It's like a halo. I don't know where you're trying to promote this morning. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you have been talking about Wasta's transformation minister with us for the last, I would say, 18 months or so, since you've been appointed minister. Uh, I know that I saw some ads in newspaper about some management positions at Wasa. What significant changes, and, and you have said before that the transformation plan had been taken to cabinet. I believe it had been approved by mm -hmm. cabinet. Mm -hmm. What significant changes will we see in this next year in the running of Wasa? And what benefits will the operations of Wasa changing under this new management structure accrue to the customers? And, and thanks again for that question, because the transformation plan that was approved by cabinet and passed to the board for implementation, the advertisements that you are seeing in the papers is evidence of the transformation plan um, being um, implemented by the board, because the, the plan recommended that the first phase of the transformation should be the, the appointment or the changing over of the, a new executive leadership for WASA. The plan, um, the country is aware by now, pointed to a very serious problem where WASA has a management structure of 426 um, managers and with, with eight layers of, of management. And the plan um, suggested that that is one of the, the key um, or the main contributing factor to the level of mismanagement inside of WASA and how bureaucratic it is to make simple decisions. So it had suggested a more leaner um, management system, a management structure for um, four levels, and which obviously would result in a reduction in the number of managers within the organization. But it does, it's not only managers, but it is also ensuring that WASA is, is, is a fit-for-purpose water utility company that is geared towards treating with some of the contemporary problems that we face on any modern water utility grid, you know, climate change, technology, um, and, and a host of other issues with respect to that water utility companies face around the world. So it is not about reducing the management structure, but ensuring that the company is designed in such a way, the structure of the company is designed in such a way where it can, res it can respond to some of those challenges it can make decisions easier, all right? You devolve powers in the, um, in, 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 in the hands of regional managers who would take full responsibility for the management of their, the five regions across Trinidad and Tobago, and they are responsible for the entire value chain where water production is concerned. So once we address the management problem, we feel very confident that the billions of dollars that we intend to spend within the water utility sector, with a, with a new management um, structure being in place, the country would finally see uh, the benefits of the investments, the capital investments that the, the government intends to make over the, the, the coming three years, moving towards 2025 and, and beyond. So, because at the end of the day, we believe that whilst yes, it is going to take money to turn around and to improve the water supply situation in the country, if you do not have managers that you can hold to account, then the country will not see the benefits of the, of, of the investment that we intend to make. And we believe then that with a new management system in place by, we believe that this, this recruitment process 
will be completed by March into April. We will have a new executive management. And um, the next phase will be to um, look deeper into the organization, not look deeper, but we have all, already done that. But the next phase is to recruit um, new persons, persons who are qualified for the various positions deeper within the organization, which obviously is going to impact upon the bargaining units. And the the the, the discussions with the um, the representative unions have already started, and it will it will be a continuous process moving into June um, of this year, where we believe that um, at, at, by that time, the, the, the utility company will be a fit for purpose company where we would reduce the operational expenses within the organization, recruit new and competent managers to fill some of the critical positions, invest in the various technology to create that smart water grid that I've been speaking about. And in so doing, the customers will start seeing an improvement in their water supply. I'm very passionate about the technological aspect of the transformation because that will now put powers in the hands of managers to be able to monitor, to be able to manage the grid remotely, knowing when disruptions occur and ensuring then that before it creates public anxiety and hearing people without water for two months and three months for the very first time because they have to take to the media or burn tires or go on social media, creating that smart water grid would be able to give you the tool and ability to identify some of the hydraulic challenges, respond to them before they create problems um, to the customer. So where the, the direction which we are going, it is positioning the company to address the, the problems that any modern water, water utility company um, faces on a daily basis, but it is also going to ensure that the hundreds of millions of dollars that we are about to invest in the turnaround of Wasa and the improvement can do in the water supply, that the customers, the country, the citizens will see an improvement in their water that, supply. That's a great plan, but we all know that change management, investment in technology and infrastructure are parts of it. This country has been become accustomed to a utility in Wasa that's dysfunctional. The workers have become accustomed to operating in a dysfunctional environment from administration to administration for several different reasons. And then administration changes and then it goes back to same old, same old. And what we have now, in addition to all that you've discussed, is a need for a culture revolution in Wasa. How much emphasis is being placed in it? Because you could change board, you could change management, you could invest in technology. If the WASA workforce is not on board and not put through a significant paradigm shift in operations and accountability structures not put in place, it's going to amount to naught but disruptions. They're going to rebel and they're going to have more problems in your hand. And, and, and that's what and, happens if you, you are, have... And you are uh, absolutely correct. You are absolutely correct. Well, you're very, very, very correct on this particular matter. And um, one of the key recommendations of the... Um, of the transformation plan is the establishment of an office of transformation that is going to be managing the day-to-day -day aspects of the transformation process and of course putting together a, a very robust um, change management system in place to manage this transformation this transformation never in the history of was i can tell you i mean i came in as minister and i have never seen a transformation plan for was i've never seen 
uh, comprehensive report that was done in like in 2020 when we came in to look at the operations of Wasa, which we laid in Parliament. No such report was ever done in the history of Wasa in this country. There was never no transformation plan. Um, in the, all the talk of transformation over the years was just old talk and, and politicians just trying to fool the country. That was never done. It's the first time in the history of Trinidad and Tobago a, a comprehensive transformation plan was put in place, but not only put in place, but now we are seeing evidence of that transformation plan being put into effect. And understanding that this is going to be wide-scale transformation that is going to impact 5,000 employees with so many different implications with labor, politics, and what have you, the government has thought it necessary to put together an office of transformation that is staffed and, and resourced with the necessary consultants and, and, and competent professionals to manage the various aspects of the transformation. You would have seen a number of um, applications that the PSC and some of the unions would have made the industrial court to stop this transformation. The reason why they have not been successful is because we have been taking our time to thread this particular needle because we understand fully what we are dealing with. And anytime you make any mistake, they are going to derail the transformation process by wrapping you up in court and getting you all caught up in defending um, injunctions, et cetera. They have not been successful because we are taking this thing um, seriously and we are making sure that all of our dots and our uh, all our T's are crossed. Our eyes, it sounds you know, to me like like the relationship between the union and the, the, the company is a contentious one. Has been, we know that. But how much yeah. emphasis is being placed on on, on building some sort of better relationship so that you're both on the same page because having a, a position that well they took us to court and they didn't win and we're moving forward and accepting that but it's a battle with the union to me is not the most productive way to go because you're going to have contention all the way through which is not to me the ideal situation well you would have noticed that um in recent times you have not seen any major flare um protest action and you know lighting of candles and putting the ministers photograph in front of these lit candles, etc. And that is because um, they, there's a, a smoothing of the relationship between the board and the, the unions. We, I have asked, the, the board has started the process of consulting with the unions. You have called them into meetings. Um, even before these advertisements um, hit the papers, the, the unions were notified. They were called. Present, presentations were made to them. They, they were informed of the, of the various phases of the transformation. And um, um, I am told that the meetings were, were very, very cordial. I don't anticipate that all of the meetings would be cordial in the future. But um, I would have seen, especially in recent times, when the, since the consultation started, the, you know, um, with the unions, um, the, the parties are now um, settling down and um, they are allowing the transmission process to unfold. Um, there will be some rocky periods. There will be some flare-ups from time to time that is expected. But we are ensuring that um, we are not doing this thing without the proper consultation and there will not be agreements on every aspect of the transformation. But the unions will, we will make every effort to bring everyone on board because we are citizens of Trinidad and Tobago and we are all vested in the outcome of this transformation as citizens. It doesn't matter if we are employees or, or union members, we are citizens and, um, and we are all invested in the, the outcome of this transformation. If we could move to TNTech, let me let me start with a strange question first with TNTech. Is there a policy decision 
from the cabinet, the government, <clears throat> excuse me, regarding bringing legislation to the parliament to deal with making the citizens, the residential citizens of the country in particular, but I guess commercial too, having an easier time to add solar panels to their grid to ease off the TNT grid. And I say that in the context of Barbados and other Caribbean countries that have gone ahead by leaps and bounds in terms of making it easier, less jumping through hoops to yeah. add solar to their grids and ease off the the other, the, the natural gas grid, which is TNT provides in a safe manner. And I, I stress safe manner because that's a whole different paradigm, but it has been done successfully in Barbados. Yes, there is a policy that we are final, finalizing at this point in time. Um, with draft legislation, we've been working with um, partners in the IDB, the consultants in the IDB, Ministry of Public Utilities, as well as Ministry of Energy on um, a feed-in tariff policy for Trinidad and Tobago. Not only a policy, but feed-in tariff um, legislation for Trinidad and Tobago. What does um, that mean? Feed-in tariff. Feed-in tariff, yeah. Feed tariff, yeah. It is uh, an arrangement, just like what you explain in Barbados, where persons will be able to install their own solar panels on their homes, their, um, their buildings, private buildings, etc., um, to provide electricity for their homes, for their buildings, etc. And if there is any excess electricity being generated from these solar panels, those citizens would be allowed to feed that excess electricity into the electricity grid. And the electricity company, in our case, Tiantec, would be able to pay those private citizens for any electricity that um, would have been sent from these private um, generated um, um, solar panels um, into the national grid, they would be able to recover some kind of, um, or will be paid some kind of um, fee for that extra electricity that they get from those um, from some of those private uh, solar panels. But of course, it requires a change to the existing legislation, which we are almost um, completed. We've all, almost done. The, it, it, it requires a shift in a policy arrangement, which we've we have, we have almost done. And very soon, I am I'll be very happy to go to Parliament, partner with. My, uh, my colleague in the Ministry of Energy to um, to finalize the policy and the legislation and to make that feed-in tariff arrangement finally a reality in Trinidad and Tobago. I can tell you, however, though, that um, that we have noted uh, an, an increase in the number of um, applications for what we call non-utility scale um, non-utility scale solar panels, meaning persons are now applying more to, to get the requisite licenses to, um, to um, generate electricity for their buildings, for their homes, etc. And in this financial year, what we are expecting to complete the application for about 43 years, 43 applications so far for various stages, there are various stages of, um, of processing. We intend to complete that this year and to uh, encourage citizens to apply for more licenses for non-utility solar generation um, 
licenses so that they can generate their own. That, that's great, but from my understanding, most people who, who, who they say it's a cumbersome process, and I understand your, your explanation of the feeding tariff issue, which is one thing to be able to be paid for surplus energy that you generate. But I think mm-hmm. what is happening in Barbados is that people just use it to heat their water so they lessen their dependency on the on the formal grid, the state grid, so that the their electricity bill goes down. Is is are there plans to make that an easier process for citizens, particularly residential people, in a safe manner. And that is what I am looking at. Um, the, the process, and I, I hear you on that, but we are looking at, the, at this process right now, and um, we will advertise, we will inform the citizens of the new process. We can do it online and make the application process more seamless to allow persons to get their licenses so that they can generate their own electricity. Because, I mean, we are looking at... Um, you know, a wide-scale transformation of the of the electricity grid in Trinidad. We have signed the first utility-scale um, uh, uh, project uh, just a couple of months ago, which will result in the largest um, um, solar panel or solar project in the Caribbean that will now generate 112 megawatts of electricity. Right, the RIC is now in the process of reviewing the rates of electricity, and if you look at what they are doing, what I have observed so far, is that it allows citizens now to monitor their their um, the amount of electricity that they consume, so that they will not find themselves in a chair where where they're going to pay more for electricity. So you can now monitor your rate of electricity, the amount of uh, megawatts per hour that you are consuming on a monthly basis, and once you reduce that, then the the the, the risk of paying a high rate for electricity will now be minimized because you will fall into a lower chair where the increase is going to be very, very minimal. And in addition to that, we revamped the process for um, making it quite easy for non-utility scale solar generation licenses to encourage citizens now to invest in their private um, solar um, uh, plants on their, their homes, etc., to be able to get their, their, their licenses. Is, is the utility... Is the utility ready for a, a, a significant upset? Because when that, and I'm saying when, because I'm I'm saying when that RIC process is completed, mm-hmm. and there is going to be people could bury them their heads in the sand all they want. The the, the, the conversation about Trinidad to be having the lowest electricity rates in the Western Hemisphere is a real one. We are going to have an increase in, in electricity at some scale residential commercial and otherwise and at that point you will find people are looking for options to minimize their bill by installing these solar panels to at some level mm-hmm. is the city ready for that level of increase at 43 it's going to go to 4300 in no time once that situation becomes um real it i think the utility company i think the ministry of public utilities ministry of energy we are very um, much prepared for that. I mean, as over the years, the government has been reducing the, um, the the custom duties and taxes on the acquisition of these things. And what we have noticed is that citizens were not interested. They, they never take up the opportunity to invest in some of these solar panels simply because electricity is quite affordable and very, very cheap. The rising cost of gas uh, over the years never impacted upon customers. So even though we remove a number of duties and you know taxes etc on the acquisition of some of these things customers never took it up which even with respect to uh, my, my information is that it's, it's because you have to jump through so many hoops to that, get is it up. that is people just were not interested you have cheap okay. rates of electricity 
And when you, once you have cheap rates of electricity, not only in Trinidad and Tobago, but in, in, in other countries, in Suriname, for example, people are not interested because you have your, your electricity is very cheap. Why would you invest in something like that? Because the product itself is very expensive. So even though you remove the taxes, et cetera, it's a very expensive um, investment and people did not see the need to make that kind of investment because the electricity is very cheap. But now that there's going to be a shift in, in the price for electricity, then you would see the appetite of the citizens now um, increasing to invest in, in some of those things. And in other countries around the world, I'm telling you, in order to shift the appetite of the population, they had to look at the rate for electricity and make the necessary adjustments so that citizens can now be incentivized to make these types of transition into renewable energy. You cannot, you cannot encourage you know, the, the change in, in appetite, the change in customer behavior, if your pricing structure, it does not allow for people to make that transition. Ministers, the job pricing structure. In, it, see if you can explain for us, and um, um, is Richard there? Yeah, I'm yeah. an increase of between 50 and 63 percent. See, see if you can explain that. 64. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, what I noticed is that the RIC, there are different bonds, different shares in um, the your domestic um, consumers, your um, your commercial, industrial customers, etc. So, in your domestic your domestic customers, they, they put them into various categories. So you might be in a category where your consumption for, for the month is 400 megawatts, um, kilowatts per hour. It could be 1,200 kilowatts per hour, 3,000 kilowatts per hour. It all depends on what you have in your home. If you you have you let, um, air conditioning in all your, your bedrooms, all your, you know, all the rooms in your home, you have heaters, you have swimming pool and what have you, all of these things. They, um, they will impact the, 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 the amount of megawatts or not megawatts, kilowatts per, per hour that you consume on a regular, on, on a monthly basis. So what the RIC has done or proposing to do is to put the various domestic consumers into categories. So th there will be those who fall within the 400 um, kilowatts per hour category. Those are the customers who just simply have, you know, a simple home, lights, um, a television, refrigerator, maybe one air conditioned unit and what have you. So your consumption on a on a monthly basis is quite minimal. So if you find yourself within that four or five hundred um, kilowatts per hour category, your the increase, the proposed increase will be um, 15 percent. But once you start going over, let's say 500, to 1,000, meaning that you have much a lot more appliances in your home, you know, consuming more power, then you, your, 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 your proposed increase might be 20% or, or 30%. And as you go higher... But that's not fair. That, that's not fair that, that because I, 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 I have um, more luxurious things or using more kilowatts that I would have to pay a bigger percentage. You're consuming more. You are consuming mm. more well, it, I think what Wendell is trying to say is that it should be a standard increase yes. per watt. So if yes. it's, I, I, I'm speaking in layman terms, of course, so that if it's if it's a 10% increase, it's a 10% increase across the board. Yeah. You, remember, you, you remember, 
what what they, they, the message they are sending is that we have to now adjust our behavior. We can control. So even though you have air condition in 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 all your rooms and you ha- and you have all these different things that consuming a lot of power, you can now control the amount of power that you consume on a monthly basis so as to reduce the impact of the, the, the rate increase. It is now within your power to say, well, look, listen, I am no longer going to be consuming 1,500 kilowatts per hour. I'm going to, to reduce my consumption to 1,800, meaning that I'm going to utilize less air-conditioned um, units on a daily basis. I'm going to make sure that my lights come off um, um, at certain times in the day. I am going to, I am now, the, the power is now in my hands to monitor my consumption of electricity on a monthly basis. But this this uh, issue of the increasing electricity, and I mean, we have discussed it on this program previously, not necessarily with you, but among ourselves. Um, of course, because commercial and industrial customers are going to be even higher. And and that, of course, I know Rajiv Dipti, the head of the Supermarkets Association, has already weighed in and says this is going to increase the price of goods that are already increasing because of world factors. So it's going to go up even more. You have people coming out of a pandemic. It's it's not the best time in Trinidad and Tobago in terms of the economy. And it always, you always wonder at the point when we had much more finances and things were much more robust, why the state didn't do it at that point in time, which is less of a hurt on the people rather yeah. than now it seems as if decisions are being made. And I'm not saying they're unnecessary decisions. I'm just saying that decisions are being made that continue to hurt the population every single day prices are going up they're going to go up further because of the electricity rates the price of gas has gone up the, the, uh, the price of commuting has gone up mm-hmm. you may think that 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 the electricity prices now are insignificant but for a lot of people some people can't even meet that yeah, meet it at this point and some people get cut even at this point mm-hmm. so 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 increasing it is going to impact hardship, even if you may think 15% is not much. At the current rate, people are getting cut. Yeah. Um, so so I- it's, it's and I, and I, I made the point um, sometime earlier this week, I think it was, not last week, where I said that um, Trinidad Tobago may have the lowest rate of electricity in the Western Hemisphere, and that's because of our natural and natural gas, etc. But why isn't it the perspective or the lens of the powers that be that you want your citizens to have the lowest rates and what do you need to do as an institution to make sure the rates um continue to be low or get lower if need be is it more investment in renewables is it more investments in things like that so that the grid becomes more and more off natural gas and off other issues in terms of reducing costs that you could then pass on to your customers but you have a thing in Trinidad and Tobago that once things go up, they stay up. They don't ever come back down. And, and those are real issues that you are that you are raising, um, Richard. They are real issues. And we talk about you know the rising cost of inflation over the years and what have you. From first and foremost, um, the RIC Act mandates that every five years there should be and there must be a review of the rates that we pay for water and electricity. It mandates that a rate review should be conducted every five years 
in Trinidad and Tobago in alignment with what happens in every other country. And there are some countries, depending on circumstances, um, the, the, the period should be every year or every two years, depending on what is happening in, in, the, in the market that would impact the, the prices and impact the costs for the production of water and electricity. But in Trinidad and Tobago, the last time there was a re review for, um, for, for water, it was 1993. We are, we are in 2023. The cost of production of water has gone up how many times? You understand, since 1993. With respect to electricity, the last time there was a rate review was 2007, 2008, there about 16 years ago. So the cost of inflation is not only impacting, and I don't want to come across as, I don't want to come across insensitive. And I'm, I'm trying my best to be as measured as, as I can, but yet still be factual to the population and be very, very truthful. All right. We talk about the rising cost of food and the rising cost of fuel and the rising cost of this, the rising cost of that. But the cost for the production of, of, of electricity in this regard has also gone up when compared to 16 years ago. So it is not only impacting consumers, it is not only impacting the business sector, it's not only impacting you know, citizens, but it is also impacting the utility company in terms of the cost, the rising cost for the production of the utility and the service to the people of Trinidad and Tobago. Even, and even if... The, we, we, we regard the proposal by the RIC and we say, what is the time? It's now is not a good time, etc. There is also a concessionary arrangement between the NGC and the government with respect to the price that we pay for gas to generate electricity. So it is even subsidized to the tune of billions of dollars at that level, the gas pricing arrangement. So NGC purchases the gas. The, 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 the arrangement between NGC and the power producers is that the, the price that they pay, the power producers pay for the gas from NGC is $1.60 um, US cents per MMBTU, $1.60. Right now, the price of gas is about 4 or $5. It had reached $9, $10, but yet still, the pricing arrangement was not impacted. It remained at $1.60-something cents. So, and that is a subsidy arrangement to keep the price of electricity very low that is also costing the government of Trinidad and Tobago billions of dollars. So NGC is saying, well, I mean, if we, 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 are, we are supplying this gas to, to the power producers at the tune of $1.60, if we were to sell this gas to our pet chem industries and the wool market, the same gas we can get at $5 or $6, that will return billions of dollars to the coffers for the people of Trinidad and Tobago to provide other services. So we have to make a, a, a choice. Do we wish to continue the, the pricing arrangement to keep electricity at a very low rate, to sell the gas at $1.60 um, US cents per MMBTU to keep the price of electricity? Or is it better to get the gas um, at market rate so that the people while, yes, they will pay closer to the market rate of electricity, billions of dollars may come into the state coffers that it can um, invest in other things. I mean, these are just questions. These are just things that I am raising so that you can understand that in the discussion, you have to take into consideration all of these factors because people keep asking the question, when is the right time? When is the right time? We are 16 years. It's 16 years. We have not done it. 
We're supposed to do it every five years. And within that 16 years, at what point in time was the right time? You understand the point I'm making? At what point in time within that 16-year arrangement was the right time? And now we are in a, um, in a situation where the cost for um, electricity generation has gone up considerably. And what do we do? We are owing NGC, despite the concessionary gas arrangement, we are still owing NGC $4 billion. We're not even paying for it because the rate that we are paying for the electricity in Trinidad and Tobago is not even allowing Tiantec, is not even allowing Tiantec to pay for the concessionary rate for gas that they are getting from the NGC. So we are, in a, we are in a very difficult situation. And then Paul raised the very important point of renewables. I have news for you all with respect to new renewables. The cost to generate electricity from renewables is significantly more than the cost to generate um, electricity from gas. So if we want a sustainable renewable energy policy and system in Trinidad and Tobago, we cannot even do it with the current price for electricity in Trinidad and Tobago, and we cannot even do it with the proposed rate that the RIC is making um, to, to, to revise the rate. So those are very, very difficult questions that we have to we have to answer. They are difficult issues that we have to unravel. We have to do it incrementally because we cannot do it in such a way that we come across as insensitive to the population. But those are real issues that we have to grapple with, gentlemen. So it's costing you billions of you're not even paying the price the market rate for the gas from the ngc the country is losing billions of dollars because if the, the gas is sold on the market or to the petchem industries billions of dollars more will flow into the coffers of the state that you can use to build roads you um, improve your education your health services etc more in water to improve water supply and all these things but we don't do it because we want to keep the gas price down so that the rate of electricity can be low we but you know, right. doesn't really have a track record that having more money makes things more efficient. Eh? But efficiency so is a different that's, thing. But, but that's not a given. Efficiency is a different thing, um, 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 Richard. But we are looking at what our reality. We are looking at our reality. Plenty of people are talking, coming to the media and, and confusing the minds of the population and they are not being truthful to the population. They are not being truthful. They're talking about, no, it's not the right time and this and that and all those. All these businesses, and I'm going to be very controversial here, all of these businesses that benefited from low gas pricing over the years, what have they done for the citizens of this country? Have they kept their prices down? Have they kept their prices down? The reason why we have a robust manufacturing sector and private sector in Toronto Tobago is because one of the major contributing factors is the low cost of electricity which is no longer sustainable if we want to enjoy a sustainable electricity supply in the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. But all of them who are now jumping out of themselves, as you would say, what have they done with low electricity rates in Trinidad and Tobago? Have they done sufficient for this country? I'm asking. Perhaps some of them do, but I'm not too sure if all of them do. All right, Minister, we need to hold for two minutes. I got to run to a news brief. We'll be right back with you. Let's get into it. AV is it. Thank you for choosing Power 102 Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.